Today we want to wrap up chapter 28. The seance is over, but the chapter isn't. And in the last verses we learned, King Saul inquired of the Baalat Ov to bring up Shmuel the prophet, who had just recently died. And indeed, she conjured up Shmuel. And in our last year, we discussed the validity of all this. But in our chapter, it's apparent that Shmuel has been brought back into this world in order to deliver to King Saul the answer to his questions. And when Saul has Shmuel in the room, so to speak, he pours his heart out. He says he wants instruction about what he should do. The Philistines are gathering for war. Hashem has left him. And in the last verse we read, Shmuel responded to Saul and he said like this, what do you want? You know the answer yourself. The Lord has punished you for not finishing off Amalek. And if you want to know what's going to happen, I'll tell you what's going to happen. And this is what we read in verse 19 in chapter 28. The Lord will deliver Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. So in short, Shmuel is telling Saul that in tomorrow's war against the Philistines, Am Yisrael is going to lose and you and your sons are going to die. So Saul is obviously devastated by this, even though he probably knew it was coming. And he says in verse 20, V'yimaher Shaul, V'yipol malekomato arza, V'yimaher Shaul. So V'yimaher, from the word maher, quickly, that Saul immediately, Nafal malekomato arza, means he fell his full-length body, arza, to the ground. V'yiramaod midivrei Shmuel. And he was very frightened by Shmuel's words. And the verse concludes, kam, kam koach lo ayabo. He didn't have any koach, he didn't have any strength. Why not? Because he did not eat anything all that day and all that night. So when it says that Saul fell immediately to the ground, immediately or quickly or hastily, it sounds that like he fell to the ground because he heard the tragic prophecy regarding him and his sons, that they're going to die in a war. But the Abarbanel says something else. The Barbanel says that the verse says the Shaul that he hastened or he immediately fell to the ground. First of all, it doesn't mean he was bowing down to Shmuel. That's what the Mitzudat David says. He was bowing to Shmuel. But the Abarbanel says he wasn't bowing to Shmuel because he couldn't see him. But it says the he did it right away, which means he was on the ground before the Balatov even finished delivering the prophecy. It wasn't like he fell to the ground as a result of the words of Shmuel. He was already on the ground. He was in his position while Shmuel was talking to him. Why? Because the verse says he was frightened midivrei Shmuel by the words of Shmuel. What does it mean by the words of Shmuel? What frightened him? Not the message of Shmuel that he was going to die in war. He was afraid, like the verse says, upon hearing the words of Shmuel. Just the very fact that he's hearing the words of Shmuel the prophet and he's hearing true things and he knows it's him by the content of what he's saying, he realized that, yeah, he realizes, yeah, Shmuel has risen up from the dead and he's speaking to me now. That's what spooked him. That's what made him tremble. The whole scene was freaking him out. So he didn't fall to the ground because of the message. He fell to the ground for the very fact that Shmuel is indeed talking to him. Now, Rabbi Kahana has a really interesting take on this verse, the part where it says, which as we said, literally means, and he fell with the full length of his body to the ground. Malokomoto, the full length of his body. And it's a bit strange because the verse could have just said, and he fell to the ground. Why Malokomoto? Why, why the full length of his body to the ground? So Rabbi Kahana mentions how we have these verses back in chapter 10, back in chapter 9, when Saul is just starting out, we see the description of him. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. 
We have in chapter 10, verse 23, And he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And when we were introduced to Saul, in chapter 9, at the beginning, it says he was young and handsome. None of the children of Israel were handsomer than he. Again, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And now here, they're talking about the full length of his body is on the ground. Like this is a big guy here, and he's down. So Rabbi Kahana says that it shows what Saul could have been. The potential was there. But because of his arrogance, he was brought down. And instead of rising up, he's brought down. That with all his height and his stature, because of his sins, he's been brought down. So the verse says the full length of his body, it's to describe to us, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That is, you can picture this very tall guy laid out like that on the ground. And it just makes the scene that much sadder to see someone who was once of such impressive stature. And now he's on the ground. He's done. Now, the verse tells us, though, part of the reason he's down on the ground. It says because he hasn't eaten anything all day or all night. That's how the verse ends. So either he's fasting or maybe with all that's going on in his life, you know, who has time to eat or who has the appetite? And so it's just all caught up to him. So it says in verse 21, and the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shook up. In Hebrew, nivhal ma'od, he's nivhal. And she said, look, your servant listened to you. I obeyed you. I risked my life and did what you told me to do. That is, that is when she brought up the spirit, she didn't want to do it. Saul convinced her to do it. And she could have been put to death for what she did. As the verse says in the Bible, you're supposed to kill the witches. So she's saying here, King Saul, I took my chances when I did this for you. I risked my life when I did my black magic. So now you, you owe me, you listen to me now. And she says, listen to your servant and let me give you some food so you can eat and have the koach to go on your way. That's what she says to him. So she sounds like a really nice Jewish mother. She wants to give him something to eat, little chicken soup. So he'll feel better. Now, Rabbi Kahana, in his commentary, mentions that the lady said something that Saul has heard before. She said to Saul just now, I put my life in my hands for you. That is, I entered into great danger for you. I took a risk for you, to help you. And the expression in Hebrew is, Va'asim nafshi bekapi. Asim is to put nafshi, my life, bekapi, in my hands. I risk myself for you. Asim nafshi bekapi. Now, where have we heard that expression before? Well, that's exactly the same term that Saul's son, Yonatan, used way back in chapter 19. He was trying to convince his father to make up with David, to stop chasing David. He wanted them to make up. And Yonatan back then said to his father, why are you against David? He's only done right by you. Why do you sin against him? And then Yonatan said to his father, Vayesemet nafsho bekapo. He put his life in his hand. He endangered his life for you. Yonatan was referring to when David fought Goliath, when he battled the Philistines in numerous wars. So that's what this lady just said too. Same words. So Rabbi Gahana says that when she said the same thing, maybe it reminded Saul when his son was begging him to stop chasing David. Saul didn't listen. And now that same sentence is ringing in his ears from the past. And that's all part of his tshuva process. Saul's doing a cheshbon effort. He's saying, he's saying to himself, hey, why didn't I listen to my son when he said that? Okay, so the lady is offering food. She knows Saul is weak. And it says in verse 23, and he refused. So Saul refuses the offer. Either he's fasting or he's got no appetite. And he said, I'm not going to eat. But his servants and the woman, they urged him to eat. And he listened to them. And he got up off the ground. And he got on the couch. And in the next verse, and the woman had a fattened calf at the house. 
and she slaughtered it. She took some flour and she kneaded it and she baked some bread. And finally, the last verse of the chapter, and then she set it before Saul and his men and they ate. And that same night, they got up and left. That is, they left and went on their way into the night. And Rabbi Ariel, he calls this a sudat havra'ah. What's a sudat havra'ah? That's what mourners eat when they come home from the funeral. They have a sudat havra'ah, a recovery meal or a condolence meal. They eat it right prior to sitting shiva. And the meal is provided by relatives or friends or the community because they're concerned about the welfare of the mourners. So that's like what the woman is doing here for Saul. Now, Saul, he's not a mourner, but this is his last day on earth. So you can see the comparison. Okay, so that's how we end the chapter. But I want to finish this up with what it says in the Midrash. Midrash Tanchuma, Pashat Amor. It's the second Midrash, which has been elaborating on this entire seance situation. And we'll see here that after the whole thing ended and Saul got the bad news, we see he eventually gets up, he eats and goes on his way, as the scripture said. And we'll see now, he's going to go to fight the Philistines, no matter what. Despite the disastrous news he got, he's going to go out and fight. And Hashem and the rabbis are going to praise him for that. So I'll pick up the Midrash where it interprets off that verse we read that Saul fell to the ground, full length to the ground, and he was very frightened of the words of Shmuel. Now, we're going to see a conversation that doesn't appear at all in the scripture. It's a conversation between Saul and his two generals that are there. That is, the Midrash is going to fill us in on an interesting discussion that wasn't recorded in the book of Shmuel, but it's here in the Midrash. Remember, while all this was going on, Avner and Amasa, Saul's generals, they're in the room. And it must have seemed kind of crazy for them what's going on. They can't see Shmuel. They can't hear Shmuel. But they see Saul's reactions. They hear Saul speaking. So they know that Saul spoke to Shmuel. And when the seance is over, they want to know what Shmuel said. And it says like this, Amru Avner and Amasa. Avner and Amasa, remember they were his two generals who were standing there watching all this. And they asked Saul, what happened? What did Shmuel tell you? And Saul told them, Shmuel told me that tomorrow we're going to go to battle and we're going to win. And your sons who are going to fight bravely, they're going to get a promotion. So the Midrash says here that Saul didn't tell him the truth. He didn't tell him we're going to get killed tomorrow. He doesn't want everybody chickening out. So he tells his generals, yeah, we're going to win tomorrow. And the Midrash continues, Omar Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. And the Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish said, at that moment, the Kodesh Baruch Hu called out to the angels and he said to them, come and see a special creation that I created in my world. He's talking about Saul here. If a man walks into a tavern, he won't bring his sons along with him because it doesn't look good. But yet look at this man. He's going down to war. He knows he's going to get killed. He takes his sons with him. And he accepts and he's happy with God's judgment upon him. So Saul is praised here for going out to that war despite knowing what his fate will be. He doesn't demoralize his army. He doesn't run away. It's a Muhammad mitzvah and we're going to fight this war. And I want to continue in this Midrash, the next few lines, which really goes off on a tangent, but it's totally fascinating. Remember what we said a couple shiurim ago that Moshe Rabbeinu was watching all this because Shmuel, when he was called to the seance, he thought it was judgment day in the heavenly courts. So he grabbed Moshe Rabbeinu with him to be his defender because he thought he was being called to judgment. And that's why the lady said, Elokim aliti olimin aretz. She spoke in the plural form. And the Midrash told us that along with Shmuel was Moshe Rabbeinu. So he's been watching this entire thing. And the Midrash says that a Baruch who showed Moshe Rabbeinu all the generations after, 
That is, he put Moshe Rabbeinu in a time machine, fast forward, and Hashem showed him the generations of the judges. And then Hashem started to show him the generation of the kings. And he saw Shaul. And how did Saul end up? Well, we're going to see in a few chapters. Saul ended up falling on his sword, suffering a horrible, horrible death. And Moshe Rabbeinu sees all this. And he says to Hashem, Hashem, Olam, master of the world, the first king of Israel that's going to rule over your children. That's how he's going to die? Falling on a sword like that in pain? Is that appropriate? Shouldn't there be a more dignified way for Saul to leave this world? After all, he's the first king of Israel. And God replied to Moshe, You're complaining to me? Tell it to the Kohanim that it's not appropriate. Tell the Kohanim that he killed that it's not okay. That is, don't complain to me that it's not nice what happened to Saul. Tell the Kohanim it's not nice. Which in Hebrew is, Tell the Kohanim it's not okay. Because they're his accusers in Shemayim after he murdered the Kohanim. And it's amazing because this Midrash comes in the Parsha Emor. Parsha Emor, say to the Kohanim, tell the Kohanim. It's a Parsha all about the laws of the priests. But here the Midrash takes us through this journey of associations and takes us through this entire seance in order to get to this verse, Emor el Kohanim, tell the Kohanim. That's how this Midrash hit Galgel. But again, it's very parenthetical. You got to check out that Midrash in Tanchuma, Parsha Emor, Midrash 2. And the Abarbanel, in his commentary, he sums up Saul like this. Ubedati, in my opinion, Shaul Saul committed three sins. Harishona, the first one. The first sin, remember when he didn't wait those seven days. He was supposed to wait for Shmuel seven full days. He didn't do that. And he was punished for it. What was his punishment? That his kingdom won't endure. But it wasn't ripped from him. It just won't endure. It could have lasted a couple of generations. The second sin, that he did not wipe out Amalek. He had mercy on the king and on the best of the sheep, etc. And because of that, his kingdom was torn away. And David was eventually anointed to replace him. And the third sin is when he massacred the priests in Nov. And that's the reason he's going to suffer a horrible death in a couple chapters from now. Not only will he have to fall on his sword in a torturous kind of death, but his whole family gets wiped out. We'll see in that war, Yonatan, Malkishua, Avinadav, his three sons die. Later on, Ishboshet gets killed. Later on, in the days of David, the Givonim are going to demand that more of Saul's children be killed. In short, Saul's line is basically erased. But again, that's only because of his sin when he killed the Kohanim. If he hadn't killed the Kohanim, he would have lost the Malchut. That's bad enough. But the punishment of him going down in battle with his sons in a horrible way, plus all his descendants dying off. That's all because of what he did to the priests in Nov. So the Abarbanel is explaining how each of his sins caused a specific punishment in correspondence to it. And in the end, those punishments really purify him. We know that suffering purifies you or cleanses you, is a better word, from your sins. And so Saul has some serious sins. And he's going to have some serious agony as well. And you can say that kind of prepares him for the next world. It's better to take the blows down in this world than to suffer the blows in Olam Haba in the next world. Because that's the world of Netzach, of eternity. And Saul probably has a pretty good place up there. As Shmuel told him, Shmuel told him, tomorrow you're with me, 
But we learn from Chazal, in my embrace, you're with me in the next world. Not a bad place to be with Shmuel Anavi. So that ends that chapter. And the next chapter, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to go back to the land of the Philistines, where David is marching on to participate, it looks like, in the war against the Jews. Him and his men are one of the divisions, are the Jewish brigade, so to speak, in the Philistine army, marching with King Achish of Gat. So we'll see what happens there in our next chapter, in our next year. 